I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode of 12 Pack Radio is made possible by Nextiva, the official communications partner of the Pac-12. The best business phone service is chosen by U.S. News and World Report. Nextiva helps companies all over Pac-12 countries stay connected using one easy-to-use app. Get all of your business, call center, call everything, cloud, sports, science. Nextiva.com slash 12pack to get started. Nextiva.com slash 12pack to get started. Oh, South Kakalaka! Don't you dare be sour! Clap for your world-famous two-time champs and feel the it's a new day. Yes, it is. For 12-Pack Radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home, the Bader and College Football statistical model, and we are a sharp college football podcast. Thank you for joining us. This is Brian Conger. I'm joined by Rob Bowron, and we are going to go, once again, we're going national. We're going national. If this is your first time listening, thank you. We are in the midst of you know spring ball, so we're doing all of our uh, due diligence and research. We just set up our shareable spreadsheet where we have Rob and I and uh, some of our friends at uh, Pac-12 Apostles are putting together our depth charts. Very exciting. Starting to kind of get get those juices flowing soon. And, and this happens every time to me, Rob. The season win totals from Vegas just drop out of, out of nowhere like an asteroid, you know, and they just plop <laughs> in your lap. And I'm always like, oh, no. So I'm trying to really get, get in uh, front of the train this time because what happens with those season win totals is they move super, super fast. So, you know, if we're on Stanford, you know, as the under this year, if we'd like Washington State on the over, the problem is if you wait too long – then the value of those numbers gets so warped because they've been hit so hard by gamblers that you really want to get a head start on that. So um, I'm really, my goal is to at least have two or three teams ready to go, like locked and loaded, so that when that surprise date comes out for the season win totals, I'm ready to rock. How about you? How about you, Rob? But you, you, do you like the season win totals or are you more of a game by game guy? Uh, I mean, the season win totals are fun. I mean, uh, I, I always recommend whether it is hitting a line or hitting season win totals get to them early yeah <laughs> absolutely and like and it's a bummer right sometimes like don't don't throw all your eggs in one basket a quarterback gets hurt and your season's done basically so you do definitely want right. to get a good mixture of those but we are trying to keep a lookout for that of course i'm talking to rob baron of sharp college football who uh, we're going to talk a lot about numbers today last week we compared the pac-12 offenses to uh basically what we were seeing nationally from an advanced uh, football perspective, where we're looking at the stats um, comparing like, you know, Ohio state was the best offense of 2021. We were comparing how the best offenses in the PAC 12 compared to that. And then we kind of did a sliding scale where we dipped down right to the next group and compared teams that we're going to do the same thing here, but we're going to do it from the defensive side. And uh, Rob, first of all, any, anything you want to get off your chest now before, as, as we start to head into, um, which is a little bit more depressing, actually, because the defense is in the Pac-12. Maybe not that good. Uh, but, you know, like, what, what do we got here? Any, anything that you want to cover before we dive into the numbers? 
No, no, I think we're good. I mean, it's been a, it's been a little bit of a quiet week. You know, some teams are even wrapping up spring practice, but um, not a lot of news with that. Like there wasn't hardly any, uh, anything big this week. We're still on JT Daniels watch for, for the Beavers, but that's about it. It's like baby watch, you know, and like, and it just keeps going into 40 week, 41. You're like, Hey, uh, I think, I think something's got to happen pretty soon here. <laughs> so I'm really hoping that Daniels finds a place soon so we can cover that and, and get to it. But, um, we're, so I, I want to set the table here because all of this info you can find on sharpcollegefootball.com. And I thought it, it was fascinating, right? Cause we can go through from an advanced stats perspective, what the best uh, defenses were of 2021, but you can also compare the defenses of 2021 um, all the way back to 2012 when beta rank first started. And you look at the Georgia defense, right? Georgia was obviously the number one defense in the country last year. And almost the best defense of all time, right? When we're, we're taking a look at the numbers here. Yeah. I mean, you or not all time, of, of the, of the modern of the beta rank era, at least since of the beta rank era, as we, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, you there, the, the, them versus Alabama, you could definitely say is it was within the margin for error. I mean, Georgia score. So defense is negatively scaled in beta rank because you're preventing points as opposed to scoring them. Um, Georgia had a score of negative 1.71. Alabama had a score of negative 1.72 um, for 2016 Alabama, which was a really good team that was able to win. I mean, much like this Georgia team in a way was able to win a championship with a great defense in a, the year before offenses really took off 2017 is the first year we got really <clears throat> consistently big offenses in college football and of course last year offenses took a little bit of a step back at the top it, it kind of makes 2021 even more wild what georgia did right because like you were saying the trend continues to move towards the offense now i know defenses are starting to, to catch up and figure out how to you know plan around big offensive schemes but the fact that Georgia had the best defense, one of the best defenses in the last decade in an era of awesome offense just kind of highlights how freaking insane that front seven was, how good the secondary was. And uh, really, the, the only other team in the top 10 dating back to 2012 uh, from from this last year in terms of their defensive production was Alabama. You know, the, they were number nine. Uh, dating, you know, of all time, dating, dating back to 2012, <laughs> and that, that's it. I I just find that interesting. Where, you know, you didn't have a ton of 2021 offenses pop up on, you know, like the the best of list, and just does that is that more a testament to the offenses? So I mean, I think offense took a step back from last season, you know, partly because you had you had some real change, right? I mean, there it's not as if like all the offenses in college football were suddenly really good. Just the top, like at the the very best offenses suddenly were excellent. <clears throat> last season, of course, um, you know, I think Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, I think they've they've had some they had some trouble last year with the offensive line. I don't think their wide receivers were as good. Um I think when you look at Alabama, you have the switch from Sarkeesian to Bill O'Brien. Um, and I don't think O'Brien was as good of a play caller as Sarkeesian was. Um, and then Ryan Day, you know, like the, the Buckeyes just were not able to run the football. He's got a new quarterback in there. I mean, in Day, I mean, I, I think to give you an idea of 
the day knows he could get out more out of what was the best offensive unit from last year. He fired his offensive line coach because it wasn't working with running the football and hired somebody else, right? Like he knows he can get more out of, more out of what he's got. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's a good point where the big offense, like the big powerful offenses got bigger and powerful for the most part. Um, but you still had some step back, you know, from some of the premier programs just to, to take a look real fast of the top 15, defenses dating back to 2012 three of them were in the 2021 class that was georgia coming in at number two it was alabama coming in at number nine and then oklahoma yep. state at number 14 yeah. <laughs> you get you get those super seniors loaded up with an offensive defensive coordinator or with an awesome defensive coordinator and uh th- right. that's that was i mean if you're a hokey fan or the, the pokes if you're a poke fan that is that's pretty exciting to be able to see that on the field. Uh, you might not see it next year, obviously, with a new defensive coordinator and a bunch of players leaving the program. But that was a pretty special defense. Yeah. And I mean, Jim Knowles did a heck of a job, right? Uh, you know, putting that together. Now, it did take him a little while to build that in Stillwater. Um, but I think everybody should be interested to see because that's who Ryan Day hired to reshape his defense. And he shouldn't have he should have a lot more talent on hand in Columbus. Oh, yeah. I mean, that could be real, real dangerous really quickly. It's, I'm, I'm very excited to see what uh, what Ohio State has on the docket in 2022. What we're going to do this week is take a look at the Pac-12 defenses and compare them to uh, other national defenses just to kind of get a feel for where the conference sits. So Beta ranks top 10 defenses of 2021 were as follows. You had number one, Georgia, like we mentioned, number two, Alabama. Uh, number three, Oklahoma State, and those were three top fifteen offenses in the in the what we say called the Beta Rank era. Then you have Clemson, Notre Dame, Texas A and M, Wisconsin, Penn State, Utah at number nine. We did get a top ten off, uh, defense in the Pac twelve, followed by Auburn. I mean, before we talk about Utah and compare them to Georgia, which is kind of unfair to everyone, but we're going to do it anyway, just because, you know, like you got to compare everything to the best to start. And then we'll kind of do a sliding scale and maybe pick out some national names and compare Pac-12 teams to those uh, programs. But uh, anything in those top 10 that that stick out that you want to highlight before we start comparing Utah to Georgia? I mean, there's a couple. I mean, like Georgia was a, you know, head and shoulders above everyone else. Bama was still really good, Oklahoma State. But I mean, I, I want to call out like I thought Marcus Freeman did a heck of a job with that Notre Dame defense at number five. Um, interesting one to keep an eye on too. Mike Elko, who had Texas A&M at number six, is now off to be the head coach at Duke. So keep an eye on that Aggie defense. They could take a little bit of a step back. Brent Pry, who is at Penn State, had them at number eight, off to be the head coach at Virginia Tech. So uh, keep an eye on Manny Diaz is now the defensive coordinator for for uh, the Nittany Lions. Um, and of course, like Auburn at number 10, Derek Mason's now in Stillwater. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's a, like, there's a premium on, like, we, I joke, I mean, I don't joke, like, I, I sort of, encompass like you know where we've been since 2017 in college football is like the era of big offense but there's still a premium for really good defensive coordinators a really good dc still makes more than a a top offensive coordinator in college football there's not that many really really good ones out there um and so if you have one um and i would keep an eye on because alabama returns some really good players and pete golding's done a terrific job as a dc i keep an eye on that alabama defense for next season 
season. They might make a run at where Georgia and that 2016 Bama defense created out. Ooh, that's a good call. Uh, and then now you talk about next year, Bryce Young. And I mean, there's a reason that people are super excited about Alabama. I mean, everybody's excited about Alabama all the time. But I think this particular year, this might be that North Carolina to, to cross sports here. Like that Hansborough team where everyone's like, yeah, they're going to win the title. And then they went and won the title. Like that that might be Alabama yeah. this year. <laughs> uh, so just yeah. let me, and then one other thing to add on my end, you know, on Clemson, I, look, I know Dabo's got his, his hands in that in that mud there on the defensive side, but a lot of changes on both sides of the ball in terms of their coordinators. And if that offense still kind of sucks, that defense might, you know, be on the field a little bit more. I don't know. Just uh, I think there is a lot of room for movement in this coming year, and it'll be fun to see where the chips all fall. But let's take a look at Utah here. Number nine, they clock in. Uh, what what? How did Utah perform? What what are some of the numbers that jump out for you? And again, everybody can follow this on sharpcollegefootball.com and you can go through. I mean, basically any any of these numbers is pretty awesome to be able to look at the different programs. But what do we got in Utah? I mean, one of the big things for them last year, uh, and Morgan Scali, the defensive coordinator, does a really good job, um, was how well they did at containing explosive drives. I mean, they graded out at number four at containing big plays. Um, then number five and, and, and their play efficiency numbers. So outside of explosives, they did a really good job containing um, offense's ability to put up yards for play. Now their negative drive rank, number 17, they forced some three and outs, forced some turnovers. What's interesting though for them is that they – they struggled at drive efficiency. They were at 54 overall there. You could put together some drives against this team as we saw when they played Oregon State. <laughs> They're sort of really inexplicable midseason loss. Um, that's where they tended to struggle. I mean, like they, Oregon was a really good matchup for them because that Oregon offense was really explosive play dependent. Um, now they were really good against the run number six and effective rush. They were great against the pass 34 and effective pass. That's something they're going to have to clean up a bit for next season. I do like some of the talent they've been bring back in the secondary though. Um, I think part of the problem is they haven't had quite the disruptive defensive line in the pass rush, um, that they've had in the past. And that's something for them that they're going to have to have emerge again. Yeah. I thought that their line was interesting and fun this last year, but there wasn't uh, you know, and the, the, there were some names on the ends, but those big bruisers, like the star Lotulele type, you know, you just didn't have that, like that big massive body that didn't just eat up blocks, but also pushed his way in and was disruptive in the center. So I'm curious to see what that line looks like with that said, I mean, six against the run is excellent. And yeah. I know that Utah fans are kind of excited for this year because there was a little bit of youth on that uh, defense, particularly in the secondary. And I think that that's going to just it, it that defense is in such a good place. It, the culture is there. The coaching is there. They know how to develop players. And uh, like we always joke, you know, we don't know who the linebackers are going to be until <laughs> until like they, they open it up out of a box and surprise us. Um, you know, but yeah. like, they always tend to figure it out on that front and just know how to bring pressure. When you compare Utah, by the way, when you look at Georgia's defense, right, they were top five in everything. <laughs> so, you know, when you compare, yeah. we're talking about Utah being like 54 <laughs> at drive efficiency and the lowest rank for Georgia was negative drives. And they came in as a top five on that front. Um, how, how far of a gap we talk, we, you know, if you're new, sometimes we'll talk about the difference between first and second place might not be that 
big or the difference between 35th and 36th might not be that big but oftentimes there's these big gaps of drop off between like first first and 10th uh or first and ninth in this uh, scenario here it, it looks like there's a pretty big drop off between utah and georgia how far behind were they in uh when you track them to one of the best offenses of the beta rank era yeah, I mean, if you're figure, you know, if you put them up against the same offense, and like when we're talking about Georgia, in order for that team to really give up a bunch of points, they'd have to be playing a really good offense. Um, but Georgia would give up about eleven point two eight, almost, you know, almost eleven and a half points less per game than Utah. That's significant. Oh, <laughs> I mean, this Georgia, <laughs> this Georgia team was really. I mean, like people shouldn't. Uh, now that we talk about this a lot with. Um, beta rank. I mean, the, the, you know, the sort of like the linear rankings, right. Give the impression that there's like sort of a, there's a stepwise um, difference between the teams, like one and two aren't separated by a lot. That's actually often not true (laughs) in college football and in things in general, right? Like, so one and two this season are actually separated by quite a bit. Um, Even though Alabama was also really good, the top end, and we've talked about this, like the top, two or three, sometimes four are often quite a bit better than the teams that are in eight, nine, 10. Yeah. Um, there's a significant, there's a significant gap. I mean, Utah's got some really good players. They've got a good scheme. They've got a good defensive coordinator. Um, but they were, were not anywhere near Georgia's league. In fact, you know, you could two, 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 you know, you could double how good Utah was and they would only be pretty much Almost, they'd be a little bit better than Alabama and still not be as good as Georgia was last year. Yeah, that's wild. I, I might be putting you on the spot because it might be unfair to compare Utah to one of the best defenses like put together in a long time. So Notre Dame clocks in at number five and Utah's yeah. in at number nine. How far is that gap between those two teams? I mean, call that almost four points, 3.84. So again, like the, the, the at the top end here, there's a pretty big gap, right? Like there's a, we're talking almost an eight point gap still between Georgia and Notre Dame. Um, but like that, once you get down into that, really that Clemson range uh, last season, number four onward, like there, the gap, like the gap between the teams is much smaller. Oh, okay. Yeah. And again, like, I, we at least wanted to to put thing, put a frame around this, right? To give some context of like how how high Georgia was, but top ten defense, hell yeah, you know, like Utah. If you're a Utah fan, I think you're pretty excited, and you're taking a look at some of the players that returned, plus the recruiting class that they brought in. You know, like they brought in some interesting players. I don't know if they'll see the field this year, but really a good foundation to build on. I I just I want to see if they're able to get some big massive pressure guys up in that center of that line and see what happens when they do that. Because now you're cooking from maybe like a a top, you know, a top 10 offense to a top five, or I'm sorry, top 10 defense to a top five defense. And that would be amazing. I just, I love when the PAC 12 has really excellent defenses and you watch them on the field, you go, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And we we're like, we were on the border of that with Utah, really, really good defense and uh, excited to see what they're able to do next year the the one thing that drives me nuts here rob is after utah there is a big big gap i mean we have to dig down all the way to number 25 to get the next pac 12 defense which and and so like you know and and that's the right so like i i want i want a pac 12 team in the in the in the uh playoffs like i don't know if like if the rest of the conference is just has an awful year on defense 
it makes it really difficult for people to start comparing Pac-12 teams uh, to other conferences that have elite defenses and also strong offenses. So, I mean, like that's one of the, the reasons the Pac-12 was a, was down this year, right? Like you have right. to take a significant dip down, right? Like so after Auburn, you have Cincinnati, Michigan, NC State, LSU, Pittsburgh, Florida, Iowa State, Nebraska, Arkansas, Baylor, Iowa, Kentucky, Kansas State, Ole Miss, and then you have Washington clocking in at top 25. Still a good defense, particularly on the, right. on the in the secondary. But there was right. there were some issues here with the Washington defense this year. Yeah, there were some huge issues for them, right? They're at number 25 overall. They're really good. I mean, like, of course, their scheme is designed not to give up big plays. So the number six in explosive drives, still pretty good at controlling the yards for play from the, you know, from an opponent, number 10 overall in play efficiency. This is where the numbers start getting hairy. The 43 overall in negative drives, not forcing enough three and outs, not forcing enough turnovers, uh, 75 in drive efficiency. I mean, you could really put together some drives against this Washington team. Um, and it's just a, an enormous run pass split from them. 67 in effective rush, number six in uh, effective pass. Um, they could not stop the run last year. Now, it's not to say that like they just got gashed for like huge runs. They often just gave up enough to where you were able to keep a drive going and get a first down. But I mean, still like they were here, like they, they really needed to, uh, I think for this Washington team, one of the interesting things to see for them is they struggled last year without anybody that could really play, you know, two gap. They're moving away from what they had been playing in a lot of ways. Um, so I'm interested to see how the personnel fits the new system. Yeah. Yeah, like, and we kind of talked about this on the the show often, actually, where it was kind of like, "LOL, just run the ball." You know, you might. <laughs> why why are you throwing it? You can get four yards to carry, five yards to carry, and just just push it, and then force them to react. And now you might be able to throw it a little bit. Although even then, I'm always aware. I'm like, no, don't throw the ball. Don't throw the ball. I mean, that secondary was awesome. It's top six in the country, and uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, with a new regime, can they can they continue that talent? Because one of the things that frustrated me was on paper the 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 defensive line for Washington from like a, a pedigree standpoint there's a lot of interesting players on that line they recruited big they got some real big bodies in the center and they just you know between that and the, the linebackers they could not figure out how to stop the run and it really was the weakness of that of that defense I mean and then of course when your offense is on the field for like five seconds and then your defense has to run back on the field comparing Washington I'm just taking a look at some of these top 25 defenses that are further down from the from the top 10 maybe uh Iowa State do you think would I'm just trying to think of what a good oh Baylor Baylor would be perfect right uh, top 20 defense I think a lot of people think of Dave Aranda when they're thinking of, of defensive teams and scheme now you know a top 20 defense is certainly further away from Utah but maybe let's use Baylor as uh as the barometer here and yeah mm -hmm. Washington over a game is going to give up almost four points more than Utah and but just one a, a little over one 1.32 points per game more than Baylor so I mean like Washington had a good defense last year now that now they had problems teams did not I was always amazed, weren't you? And would you be watching after what Michigan and you know teams did again and again and just pounding them A and B gap that anyone did anything other than that. But teams did and it didn't work as well. Yeah. Oh, and that that Michigan game was just the look, I want Washington to succeed, but watching that game was hysterical just because you had the run the damn ball had and like, you know, the whole, like all that garbage and Jimmy Lake was yelling and screaming and, and doing his thing. And then like Michigan's just like, <laughs> like, okay, 
<laughs> Let's I, when they throw yeah. the ball like six times. I mean, it was so, it's such a stupid game. Hopefully, hopefully that never happens again uh, to, to Washington as they uh, bring in a new coordinator. But yeah, that, that certainly, I mean, like that was the, the giant expose and the fact that coaches saw that and they're like, yeah, we're still going to throw this ball against, um, you know, one of the best secondaries in the country uh, was, was kind of insane, but you know, you gotta, you gotta, that's, that's what college football is all about. Next is, yeah, this surprises me. Number three in the pac 12. Um, number 27 overall is Cal. Like, look, I'll say, I'll, I'll mention when I'm wrong. Like I thought Cal's defense wasn't going to be good with a uh, sermon there. And, you know, obviously we know Wilcox kind of has a good hand on, handle on this. And there are a couple Cal fans that listen, not, not a lot, but we, one of, one of the pushbacks that we got on being down on Cal's defense last year was that, um, you know, they, they lost their defensive coordinator to Oregon and then you get Peter Sermon coming in, and we're like, I don't know about that. And the, the biggest pushback was, hey, Wilcox is the head coach. It's his it's his program. It's his scheme. It's his culture. Just be patient. Now, they didn't have a great defense, but it, it was better than I anticipated, which, you know, um, if you're Cal, I think you kind of take that because the, the offense really is is kind of a mess right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, look, this is 28 overall is a Far, far better than we expected. This is a middle. This is still, though, a middle of the road power five defense. You got to grade them on a one to 65 scale. Um, There's certainly room for improvement. Um, But Cal, you know, their defense in a lot of ways was like, I mean, minus the massive problem stopping the run was a lot like Washington's. I mean, they did a really good job containing big plays. Number seven in explosive drives. Number 14 in, uh, in, uh, play efficiency. Now where they struggled again, they didn't cause enough three and outs, not enough turnovers There were 47 and negative drives, but like what, what worked for them in a lot of ways was they were, you know, or didn't work also as, you know, negative or I mean, drive efficiency 64 overall there. I mean, like you could put together drives against them, but they don't have a really big run pass split. There are 24 against the pass 32 against the run. I was a little, I mean, like that's not a great run defense, but that's the one that probably surprised me because their run defense had been a really, really big problem prior to the season. I wasn't expecting them to get it at least into this range. Yeah, and I forget the guy's name, but they had like a blue chip defensive line player. Uh, I think he got in a car accident, and you're just like it was kind of dead. And then you had uh, 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 Johnson, and there was a couple other players on that line that ended up leaving and then coming back. It was like it was just weird. You're like, ah, this all of this together does not get me bullish on the their ability to stop the run and they actually did i mean again they did better than i had anticipated and uh you know we'll, we'll see what happens in the future um, i think it's brent johnson was the um uh Zeonde johnson was was a player that i think it was brent johnson was the player that got in the car accident um anyway the, the whole all that to say is that the defensive line i thought overperformed uh now again middle of the pack it is what it is. We're grading on a curve a little bit here, but how far would um, Cal be from Baylor and how far would they be from Utah? So they're right. I mean, they're in the same spot as, as Washington virtually. Right. So you're talking at the, the, cause for Cal, I mean, Washington was a negative 0.46 Cal's a negative 0.45, you know, like you're, you're talking like they'd be 1.4, points worse than um Baylor and a you know uh a, just about like the full four about um 3.9 uh worse than Utah. Okay, not terrible, not terrible. 
No, no. And we don't have to drop further, which is a good or bad. We have like a grouping of teams that are like meh. But so Cal came in at 27. Don't have to go further down, too too much further down to find the next team, which is ASU. So Cal's at 27. Boise State's at 28. Appalachian State, 29. West Virginia at 30. Arizona State clocks in at number 31. I don't know. I I, I assumed that this defense was going to be better this year than I, I had more high hopes for the defense. I mean, there, this was a team that some folks like I didn't, I didn't have them winning the Pac-12 South, but um, there certainly was a little bit of, uh, of hype around them winning the South just based on the defense. And then also based on like the, the hopefully development of Daniels and the, the talent that they had at the skill positions, their offensive line has gotten a little bit better. Um, and their defensive line had some really interesting pieces on it. And I, I don't know. I, I 30, I thought was an under or 31 was an underperformance for ASU. Is, is that a fair assessment? Yeah. I mean, 31, I, you know, there are a lot of ways it could have gone for them last year. I think in particular, I was a little worried about their run defense after an early season injury. Um, but again, like there are like a lot of teams in the pac 12 last season, like they, they seem to sell out to stop big plays. They were number 12 and explosive drive seven and the play efficiency, but 85 and drive efficiency. Again, another team that, you know, was willing to give up, you know, um, willing to give up plays underneath to just avoid giving up big plays, um, 35 against the run 30 against the pass. You know, like they, they certainly, you know, like uh, I think by pac 12 standards, they were a decent defense, but there's, there's, there was, uh, but I would also say like, given some of the talented players that they had, like you kind of felt a little bit like they underperformed. Yeah, I I think so. You know, like, and I think, you know, obviously there's going to, there's some rot that needs to get cleared before the program, I think builds up over time. But yeah, I know it's, it's a bummer. Cause like ASU had that momentum. We were pretty excited about Herm and then you had the COVID stuff pop up and, and now it's just kind of like, ah, what could have been for that ASU program uh, to their credit, better than Illinois defense, better than Florida state and Ohio state's defense last year from an advanced stance perspective. And then clocking in at number 35 is Washington state. You got the, the defensive coordinator popping up and grabbing the head coaching position. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always interesting, like, because we're, we're kind of like, oh, that deflated feel for ASU. And then we're like with Washington State. Oh, OK. I mean, but but it's, it's all relative, right? Like Washington State had a terrible defense for a while and that's been improved. And them getting up to 35, I think, is pretty exciting if you're a Kook fan. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I mean, some of this, too, is like, where were you last year? Right. Like and for Washington State, the climb up to being at 35 and look, it's, you know, recruiting is more correlated with defense than it is offense. Um, And Washington state is possibly the toughest place in power five football to recruit to for them to be where they're at. You know, I think after one year under Dickert really speaks well, Uh, I thought he did a heck of a job. Now they are a little more balanced, right? Like they're at 40 and drive efficiency, 49 and play efficiency, only 33 or 49 and uh, explosive drives, 33 and play efficiency. What they did really well was 18 and negative drives. They caused three and outs, caused turnovers. But they had a pretty sizable run pass play. You could run against them. They were 60 against the run, number 12 against the pass. I, uh, but I, I mean, I think still, if you're a Washington State fan, you should feel really good about where this de- the trajectory of the defense. I think the thing for me with them was they just ran out of gas. Like they didn't really have the depth yeah. because 
that 60 is fair, right? I mean, I, the, the numbers are the numbers. <laughs> like if we had a, a full season sample size and then the models pinging all these teams off of each other. With that said, I was pretty bullish watching them really stop teams in the first quarter, second quarter, and into that third quarter. It tended to be the end of the third quarter and the fourth quarter where you could just really run. I just, I just think that there wasn't the depth there, and it'll be interesting to see if they're able to build that depth up. Because if they are, I mean, man, if you can get that run defense down to like 40 in the secondary, I don't know if you're going to have a top 15 secondary again in a while, but maybe. I, I like it, it just seems that if you're able to fill in those bodies and, and just build them up, that this defense can't consistently be in the top 30 uh, in, in the, the country, which if you're Washington State, man, take that. Because if you can get the offense humming, now, now we're really cooking and, and Washington State could just really be formidable in the Pac-12 North. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, and uh, they're, I think, a sneaky team coming in the next season from where the trajectory was on the defense. And then I think the offense will be better than they were last year because the offense really had, I think, a more tumultuous time. They had a coordinator, I mean, a coordinator change midseason, you know, so I, and I, I think them going back to the air raid should pay dividends. Yeah. And we're stretching a little bit here. We're going 10 more down from Washington, right? Washington's at 25. Washington State's at 35. Where would Washington State compare to Baylor, or and how would they compare to Utah? I mean, they'd be at about, about two, two and a half down from Baylor, two and a half points per game, um, and getting closer to five points from Utah. That's not bad. Like yeah, I mean, look, it's like it, it over a game, right? Like that's like that's not a bad place to find yourself. Defenses are often a little more compact. Um, there's less difference, uh, I think, too, between defenses and, and advanced stats. Oh, okay. All right. Well, it takes a little while now. We're starting to dip down again. So Washington State at 35. We're going to hit the next team, which is Oregon, and then go below that. And we're going to do it right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. We're talking national defense and Pac-12 defense and comparing the two. We left off at number 35, Washington State. That clocked in there. We're going to dip down nine more before we get to Oregon. We got Louisiana Lafayette at 36, Mississippi State, Houston, Minnesota, Tulsa, Purdue, South Carolina, Boston College, and at number 44, Oregon. And Rob, I know that there were injuries with that Oregon team. I understand that. Um, but that that coaching staff, Mario Cristobal, pulled together. I mean, they recruited their asses off, and they brought in a lot of talent. And at the end of the day, 44 is just brutal, right? If you're an Oregon fan looking back on the season, uh, just given the hype that came around the team the last couple of years. Yeah, and this defense, I mean, again, like they seem to have really sold out to stop explosive plays, but the trouble was is you could drive on them. I mean, they were number eight in explosive drives, number 11 overall um, in play efficiency. Now they still had a really good number when it came to negative drives, number 16 there where they absolutely struggled yeah. though, 118 in drive efficiency. Yeah. I mean, and you could like, uh, you know, there was, I mean, even 
Arizona with their a quarterback that threw five interceptions, moved the ball up and down on him. UCLA moved the ball up and down on him. They didn't give up big plays, but that's not the whole ball game, right? And I, it just feels like they couldn't figure out how to stop anything underneath um, as well as like maintaining their integrity of not giving up a lot of big plays. And, um, you know, and then they ended up, I mean, like taking, you know, Utah, for example, like Utah just gashed them in the run. Um, they were unable to even stop giving up big plays against Utah when they got to play a really competent offense again. And I, I liked Tim DeRuiter, right? Like, I thought that was an interesting hire. Yeah, I thought it worked. Yeah, it didn't work. did not work. <laughs> no. Now, he only had one one year, but it was it was pretty frustrating to see that on the field. Um, how far back are they from Utah? And, uh, you know, like, we, <laughs> we kind of saw. But, but, like, you know, from an advanced statistical perspective, where, um, you know, how, how back uh, from Utah was Oregon and how far back were they from Baylor? So there's seven points. I mean, a full touchdown worse than the Utes. Um you know, were last, you know, last year. Um, and then from Baylor, you're looking at, uh, about four points. Okay. Yeah. 118. Holy goodness. And, uh, and you did see that, like there, there was multiple teams that just like, up oh, there it is up oh, there moving it again, up oh, there moving it again. Um, and they just weren't, weren't able to, to put teams away. Like, uh, like we thought they would be able to this past year, hopefully with, a uh, you know, the defensive coordinator from one of the best defenses in the you know beta rank era. <laughs> Hopefully that can get short up. Um, we'll see how uh, Laney is able to put that together. Looking down more, we have Fresno state air force, Miami, UCF, Oklahoma, Marshall, Nevada, Tennessee, Toledo, Holy Moses, Rob. I mean, we have to go 18 or I'm sorry, uh, 14 more spots before we land at UCLA. And now we're getting into these subpar defenses, right? Like if you're number 58, as a power five conference, you, you do not have a good defense. And uh, no. I, I, to be fair, I thought that UCLA's defense didn't like, I didn't, as an RO just gave me so much pause and this is not a good defense, but it wasn't a disaster. And I thought there was a possibility that this could be a disaster. Yeah. I mean, and again, this is another team that just gave, I mean, like you could absolutely drive on this team all day, but they weren't that good at containing explosive drives. Number 32 overall there, number 45 in play efficiency. Now they did a little better at causing three and outs number and turnovers, number 23. And they didn't have a big run pass split, but they were at 116 in drive efficiency. I mean, you could move the ball on this UCLA defense um, and they struggled. I mean, I don't think the run defense was quite where they wanted it to be. Um, and they certainly struggled generating pass rush. They were at 69 overall in effective pass. Hmm. Yeah, you look at the team, like it was interesting, right? Because I think Hithaliday talks about roster management and that being one of the problems with UCLA. It's like you had 17 linebackers and then like a lot of them weren't good. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then you said you had a, some shuffling of cornerbacks and you had a couple transfers and, uh, you know, now they move from Azanara. Finally, they get a new uh, play caller that also hasn't called plays for like a gazillion years and came from the NFL. So I'm not super bullish on what they're able to do. And I mean, it doesn't look like I have to go back and check UCLA's recruiting class on the defensive front, but um, I don't know, man, like it could be, it could be kind of rough. Although they did get that big defensive tackle transfer from, uh, from USC. So I think like they might have a big body up in the middle. Well, they got the, did they get the guys from the two guys from uh, North Texas too? Yeah. I mean, I mean, they've got they've got some interesting players coming in. I just 
I, I struggle to see this UCLA. Like, even if they take a big step forward, I still don't think that they move much past the 40s. And that's still a pretty bad power five defense. Yeah. And, and we dipped pretty far. So, like, are we talking a touchdown worse than Baylor now? Like, if for teams like UCLA? Yeah, 6.6 points okay, for the whole game. I'm learning, man. I'm learning. Yeah, yeah you got you got it. You got it dialed in. <laughs> uh, right, dipping down a little bit more here. Um, it, and again, it's another dip till we get to Colorado at number sixty-eight. You know, above them uh, and under UCLA, you have UAB, East Carolina, Utah State, Wake Forest. I mean, these are not good defenses. Navy, Michigan State's a name that kind of pops out. Middle Tennessee, Liberty, Syracuse, Colorado at number sixty-eight, and it, 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 this is a bummer because wait, a because there were some really interesting players on the team. Um, you had uh, that linebacker that was there for like 17 years that finally, uh, Nate Landman, that finally pops off. Yeah. You had some interesting players up front. I like their defensive tackle. Um, the secondary was was interesting. We'll talk about that. I, th- I think they did better than I had anticipated. But overall, you had, a lo- you had a lot of seniors on this team and a lot of players that were experienced, and they are gone. I mean, the, the secondary is young. But um, some of the, the players that stood out the last couple seasons for Colorado um, all depart and you're left with like a 68 offense in the country. And that's not good, Rob. No, no. I mean, this is a tough this is a tough fit for them, right? I mean, now they they did a little bit better. I mean, they they struggled. They gave up some big plays, 77 overall explosive drives, um, but they did better than uh, a lot of teams in the Pac-12. They were at 45 in drive efficiency. So they did find a way to, to you know, use the field to their advantage and get off. Um, they they struggled to, to create three and outs and turnovers, though, number 89 overall in negative drives. Um, they had a huge run pass blood. They were at 41 in effective pass, 92 in effective rush. I mean, you could really run the ball against them. Um, and that's a concern coming in the next year because they lost – their their best players in the secondary to transfer. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like I, it's a bummer because they lost their best players in the front seven to just you know they finally ended their eligibility and they're like, oh well, the secondary is pretty good. And they're like, oh no, both of their corners left and it's just kind of a mess, right? Yeah. Now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. I I think that they could. I mean, look, they they like like a lot of teams in the Pac-12. You can like I think one of the things you have to talk yourself into if you're going to talk about change is you have to be talking about like a new coordinator that you're pretty high on. I do like their coordinator that they have on defense, but um, I don't expect them to make like leaps and bounds type improvement. And then Rob, sweet Moses, right? 69. We're kind of down on Colorado and we're like, ah, oh, you know, you had all these players. They, they left now and 68, but then, oh my gosh, like I, I have to refresh my screen <laughs> before I dip down to the next defense, which is Arizona at number 88. And I mean, we, we, I think everybody knew that the, the Arizona defense was going to be like fairly bad. Um, yeah. 88 is, is bad. <laughs> they did it, Rob. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is where Arizona has been hanging out for years now. Like if you want to talk about some positives and there, I mean, I don't know if there are that many, but I mean, what Arizona did well, like a lot of Pac-12 defenses did last year was they really sold out to try to stop big plays. Um, Number 63, and that's bad, but comparatively they're at 121 in drive efficiency. You could drive and people did drive against Arizona's defense. Um, 
But they, you know what they did well under Don Brown was they, relatively speaking, they were at 35 in negative drives. They, they caused three and outs and turnovers, you know, under Brown. Um, they didn't have a huge run pass split, but they were better against the pass. 74 in effective pass, 98 in effective rush. That's something to sort of keep an eye on as they move into the new system with Johnny Nansen as their defensive coordinator. I don't think much of the Nansen hire, but I still think Arizona could improve because they're just, they've been so bad. I don't know, man. They, they remind me of like the kid that's always in detention, right? And like yeah. you, you get into detention and then like there's Steve sitting in the corner, like, Hey Steve, like that, that's kind of Arizona in the eighties and nineties here in Bader Rick. Like just, yeah. I, I will believe it when I see it. I'm, I'm worried because like, I do think that they're recruiting better, but, um, but I just like ski matters. And, uh, like we've just seen, and we, we will talk about a team that is similar to this, where you have good players and they just cannot put it together in the X's and O's. And we'll see. We'll see. I um, If Arizona gets above 75, I will be very surprised, particularly with a first year defensive coordinator and like moderate talent. So well, we'll see. But but to their credit, they were better than Oregon State, Rob. And, um, and that was a yeah. performance that led to a firing. Yeah, Oregon State, I mean, they really struggled to stop long drives, 110 in, in uh, drive efficiency. Um, they weren't great at stopping explosives either, number 68 there. Um, they were decent at the play efficiency number, so outside of explosives, but they didn't cause enough three and outs, 81 overall in, in negative drives, three and outs and turnovers. Um, they struggled to defend the pass last season, 101 in effective pass, 78 in effective rush, but they definitely moved on from the DC. I'm just shocked, as I said on many a show, that I'm shocked that they hired, they made this higher internal. Yeah, yeah, that is a bummer because even if Oregon State popped up to like a top 70 defense, right? That's that's at least one extra game, I would assume. And, uh, you know, and now they're not losing to Utah State and the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl. And they're actually, you know, competing against a team that's like in a power five conference. And I don't know. It just I like that. There's been a couple things that have been holding Oregon State back, the the quarterback um, and, and and the defense. And I, I think there were some interesting players like th- they brought in Addison Gums. They brought in like a couple like they brought in um, that Minnesota uh, defensive tackle when they had some issues. Like So it's not like uh, it's not like Smith isn't looking in the portal it's just they're not I mean they're just not able to seal the deal I think from a talent standpoint and then when you match that with a defensive coordinator that was interesting for his first couple of years and then kind of fell back to earth um you're kind of left with this so I'm glad they made a change I hope it works out but I think we might be right. seeing another change in two years here which I, I think is kind of wasted you're leaving some money on the table if you're a B fan yeah, I mean, I think that's a bummer, right, to, to have an opportunity to really change things up potentially because you have Lindgren and Smith on the offensive side of the ball already. You should be able to go, I mean, like you got to use your resources wisely, right? Like with Jonathan Smith there as the head coach, the offense should be fine. They should be willing to go out and spend money on a DC to try to get them over the hump. Yeah. I, I just think as, as I'm scrolling through here, this is fascinating, Rob. You know, we're going past Vanderbilt at the 100, and we have to get to 105 to watch USC yeah. um, and the performance that they put up. Like, just one of the most unacceptable. Uh, you know, look, the team gave up after a while, but w- even if you have players on that field, like, like you just should never, you should never be lower than Vanderbilt if you're USC. <laughs> like, like, 
and mostly anything. I'm sure there's like maybe engineering and, um, you know, academics, but, uh, even so I, I just think yeah, sub 100 defense for USC is just completely, um, inexplicable, but it happened. And, uh, was there anything that they did well this year? No, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the sad thing about this USC team, right? I mean, 98 in drive efficiency, they, they, you could drive on them 102 in big plays, um, you know, 83 in their play efficiency, 87 in negative drives, not forcing nearly enough three and outs and turnovers. Um, but what really hurts then too is, uh, I mean that the run defense, relatively speaking to all their other numbers at 70 was okay. 119 in effective pass. There are 130 teams in college football. That's USC, USC had the 11th worst pass defense in college football. That's just so is it the 11th or is it 12th, 12th. Oh my gosh. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. It's a bit, but like that, right. There's a new sheriff in town, blah, 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 blah. But so yeah. let, but let's compare USC to, to Baylor. Like, I mean, how many points is that? Um, Oh geez. Like you're talking about like 12 points a game. It's just, it's That's just a lot worse. <laughs> Uh, so bad, but they weren't the, the worst team in the Pac-12, Rob. So uh, the next time somebody says that's Stanford defense, you tell them to shut their dirty mouth because Stanford <laughs> clocks in at why well, they came in at one eleven. Um, Hideous, all over the board. They they were good at one thing. Um, so Stanford, I mean, like they're they were awful at drive efficiency, one fifteen, ninety two in uh, explosive drives, one fifteen in play efficiency, um, and their biggest, I mean, it's a huge problem, is one twenty in effective rush. Um, they were at eighty one in effective pass, but I don't think it was necessarily their secondary that was the major problem. I think they stunk in the front seven last season. Mm. It's funny. They, they just caught me up again. We did the same thing on offense where I said, Oh, they're number 13 and something. And then I realized it was the schedule rank. <laughs> they played. Oh yeah. They played, <laughs> they played a reasonably tough schedule. Yeah. Which by the way is baked into these numbers. So it's not like we're just looking at raw stats. That's the whole point of advanced stats. So yes, they did play a tough schedule, but they were awful against it. And we saw that in their win loss total. We saw that in the play on the field. Um, and hopefully, I mean, I don't know, like they, they did recruit well, I'll give him that, but um, maybe they're going to pay a price. You know, maybe Lance Anderson is uh, is is just digging up. Maybe he has some like Bitcoin or something and and blackmailing David Shaw. But uh, outside of that recruiting, I can't think of another reason to keep him. But he lasts another year. Uh, Rob, any other big picture items as we look here in the defense? Was uh, like any any teams just in general on the national front that stuck out to you as overperforming or like NC State? I thought was interesting. Like I I didn't expect to see them in the top fifteen, but any um any other teams? And they bring that- back a ton. I just previewed them. They have them. They're number five in returning defense. Um, coming in the next year, they, and Tony Gibson did a heck of a job. I really like NC state as a team to watch out for. We have them projected at 16 overall, and they've got Tim back who did a pretty good job as the offensive coordinator at Texas before getting sacrificed on the altar of Tom Herman. Um, <laughs> but Devin Leary, their quarterback is back. I think NC state's a team to, that could potentially sneak into the top 10 overall. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think you know, like there's, there's definitely. I thought you know, Brian Kelly probably did a good job, you know, with his defensive coordinator hire. I think LSU could have a, you know, maybe get back into the top ten defensively, um, you know, next season. I would, have, I would expect Florida to be pretty good. Billy Napier brought his defensive coordinator along, um, 
Yeah, but I mean, like, there's, I think the watch, I mean, like, Washington has the potential, I think, to bounce back after what was, by their standards, a pretty middling time. And then Oregon is, Oregon's one to really watch out for because they do have so much talent. Like, in a lot of ways, like, the roster is stocked. They should be schematically in play calling a lot better. And probably some more healthy players on the field, too, which can give them a yeah. chance to pop up. Yeah, I, I agree. I think those two teams are the most likely to to take a jump up. Who's most likely in the Pac-12 to take a dip down? I mean, the most likely. I mean, it's hard because there's so many. Yeah, it's there's so many teams that are just like, oh, could they be worse? Um, I mean, I look. I mean, I think USC should take a big step forward. Yeah. I don't expect yeah. them to be good, but I think that they will be a hell of a lot less bad. Um, I, I think a team that has the potential to take a step back is Arizona State. I think the turmoil there is is real. I think they have some. I think they also have some, you know, player turnover that could get them on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, but beyond that, I don't think that there's anyone. I mean, uh, you might even you can talk me into Stanford even being a little better. Yeah, Colorado's one though that you could talk yourself into them maybe taking a step back, even though they weren't great last year, just because of the roster turnover that they're facing. I totally agree. I think Colorado's the one that sticks out as you know, if they were in the bottom ninety, that wouldn't surprise me at all, just given all the stuff that they've lost and just the turmoil that that program is in. Like you mentioned, ASU taking a step back. I think UCLA. It's possible that, you know, I, I think it's less likely than uh, than Colorado or ASU for them to take that as big of a dip as I would expect for those other teams. But uh, I do think that UCLA is is possibly a team that could fall in those that 70 range, which would be about 10, 10 or 12 spots, 10, 15 spots for them. Um, yeah, I mean, like, but but like you said, you know, USC can can pop up. Um, I think some of the other teams, you know, Oregon State is probably like, you know, is their variance going to be 10 one way or the other may, you know, I think that's probably a cap on them. And, um, if we see Utah still make a jump, man, like a, a jump from Utah from, from nine to five is a pretty big jump. Um, and that'd be awesome yeah. to, to see if they'd yeah. be able to do that. Yeah. I'd like to see the, I mean, like with Utah, it's, I mean, I, I think we should have faith that they can replace the linebacker. The question is, is, you know, is there anybody that, is there anybody that can be a day one or day two draft pick on the defensive line for the Utes. That's what they've really been missing. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I guess the last thing to uh, just briefly mention is Cal. I don't. I think that the the floor is fairly high for Cal, given that Wilcox is there. But I do think like there's a world where they fall to the fifties, just based on the the talent that they've been able to bring in or lack thereof. Uh, I think there is a world where that could happen. I don't think so. I do think that having Wilcox puts a put a solid base there, but I could see them falling a little yeah. bit. I don't see them jumping up into the top twenty-five. I think that would be. I think there's a much bigger chance of them falling than than popping up um, and making that change. But who knows? Yeah, that's that's what the season's about. And we're going to continue covering the season. We're going to do spring ball updates next week. We're going to roll through a number of those items and uh, very excited to do that. We're going to talk actual about players that are actually on the field, not looking back, looking forward, as Rafael Palmero once said. Uh, Rob, anything else to cover? No, still cranking forward to the previews. Looking forward to Cincinnati next. Yeah, yeah, excited about that. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we will catch you next week.